0: Today, on Christian Grad's Fellowship Podcast, we're going to be talking about engaging the culture around us. As a young man, I had the opportunity to work at a Christian camp in Ohio. Part of my duties was to take the campers out in canoes. Now, I remember this particular day because when we set out, it was a bright and sunny Sunday afternoon. However, about halfway through our little canoe trip... I looked up and saw what was a very ominous bank of clouds rolling in. Not long after that, the wind kicked up and I found myself in the middle of a lake with a whole bunch of little kids in canoes in what was going to be a pretty bad storm. I knew I had to do something. Thankfully one of the other counselors, a good friend of mine, showed up with a pontoon boat. We pulled all the kids and all the canoes up onto the pontoon boat. Bart turned the boat around and started heading for shore, but I decided that I was a sufficiently good boatsman that I could manage to pull my canoe back in myself. That was a mistake. An hour later, I showed up on the shore, drenched to the bone, exhausted, and thinking to myself, why in the world didn't I just get on the stupid pontoon boat? Now, I share that story with you because the disciples experienced something similar with Jesus. And that comes out of Mark chapter 4, if you're looking for uh, for a reference on this. That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. Now, Jesus had such a huge crowd in front of him, just as a bit of of exposition here, that he couldn't stand on the shore anymore. He had actually backed his way from the crowd all the way into the water line and ended up jumping onto a boat to teach. So it says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. And then it says, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. I got to tell you, I was thinking the same thing in my little canoe in Ohio. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. That is a sentiment I'm going to be honest right now I can sympathize with. I've been there. He said he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and said, Quiet, be still. And then the winds died down. And it was completely calm. So from from pure chaos, from from out of control, from from this storm raging all around, to dead flat calm instantly. And then Jesus said to his disciples, "Why are you so afraid? Do you still have so little faith?" And he said that they were terrified, and they asked each other, "Who is this man that even the wind?" And the waves obey him. Now, we're talking about standing up in front of a culture today. And I brought this scripture out specifically because sometimes when we're going through our lives, we can feel as if the culture has broken like a storm around us. We can feel like we have uh, been battered and beaten and it's coming from all sides and you don't know where to turn. And you get that feeling of just being overwhelmed and I can sympathize with that because I know that feeling. And, and just like being in a literal storm, you get tired. And some of us will, will be out in the storm because we're on the front lines and, and we're getting battered and pushed around by the wind and the waves. And we make it back to Sword just like I did, wet and tired. But I'm telling you, it's not always gonna be that way. Storms come and storms go. Jesus is the constant. The, the master, the one who commands the winds and the waves, is the constant. So I'm going to look at three types of people in this story today. All right, their first type of people were the people who were on the shore. The second type were the people who were back in the town not far from the shore. And the third would be the people who were on the boat with Jesus. And at the end of this, we're going to talk about some ways where you can you can uh, apply this and, and find a way to stand up in a culture that may seem like it's raging against you. So let's look at that first group of people. That perp- th- 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 Those people who were in the town, they were both perfectly safe and completely unaware of what happened. They had no clue. They were safe in the house, and they were unaffected by the storm. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you. Um, The easy and safe route is no way to live in the kingdom. If we're not integrating our faith into our academic study, if we're not integrating our faith into our life, if we're not integrating our faith into our jobs, then we have chosen to walk away from the shore, to walk away from the boat, and to live safely in the town, inside, unobserved, in complete and total comfort and safety. And I don't think that's the route that Jesus would have us take. But that's the first group. People in town, safe but unaware. The second group of people, they were the ones that were on the shore. Now, they heard that this rabbi was teaching, and he was the hot act in town. There was no Facebook. There was no social media back then. This was all word of mouth. So Jesus had obviously been saying something that was worth coming to hear. So they came in droves. Like we said, so many people showed up on on the shore that he had to back himself up all the way into the boat. To get away from the crowd so that he had to have room to speak the people on the shore saw and experienced the storm after jesus left they probably had come out of the town they were down by the shore they probably would have brought some food with them when evening came they probably would have stopped on the beach and set up some fires and cooked an evening meal and and, and enjoyed what should have been a very lovely evening by the shore but then that storm came out of nowhere it ruined their picnic. People on the shore saw and experienced the storm, and that would have been frightening for them. And they probably grabbed their stuff and took off at a dead run away from the storm. So, the people who were there on, and saw Jesus teach but didn't follow Jesus into the boats, they 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 experienced the fear of the storm, but they had no consolation of knowing that God was about to act on their behalf. Now, in our world today, we might call, call that a carnal faith, somebody who has placed their faith in Jesus but isn't walking or following. Um, we might call that skepticism, right? agnosticism, atheism, Right? These, these are people that have no deep relationship with the Savior. They may give intellectual assent to the idea of a Savior, but they haven't actively taken on following him. And they're certainly not integrating any of this into their daily lives. So the third people, the people who actually got on the boat. I, I've long contended that the most exciting place to be is at the end of your rope with Jesus. When you get to your wit's end, when you get to that point where you've been stripped everything away from you, that's when God can show up and do amazing things. See, God doesn't do amazing things in the town, and God doesn't do amazing things on the shore. You have to be in the boat to see God do the amazing things. You have to be where God is active. You have to be where God is is moving and where faith is taking place and where the action is. Living an active faith, well, Bill Bright put it this way. He said, the spirit-filled life is the Christ-directed life by which Christ lives his life in us and through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. That was Bill Bright. I'm a, I'm a huge Bill Bright fan. Um, I, I, got, uh, I, I came to faith under Bill Bright's ministry let me read that to you again, that that living and active faith, that faith that gets in the boat with Jesus. It says, the spirit-filled life is the Christ-directed life by which Christ lives his life in us and through us in the power of his Holy Spirit. Here's where life gets meaning, and this is where we draw the power to create cultural change in our communities. Because as our world is swirling around us, as things feel like they continue to get further and further out of control, we're going to be called upon to stand up and be counted. The people of faith um, are not going to have the ability for much longer to hide. We're not going to have the, the ability much longer to, to, to live in the, in the village and stay away from everything and be in our houses. We're going to lose the ability to sit on the shore and be just observers The culture around us is demanding that the people of God stand up and begin to integrate their faith into all areas of their life. So we're going to look at four practical steps to engage the culture around us. Four steps that you can implement pretty much today that are going to help you engage the culture in a very real and very biblical way. And so the first thing I want you to do is focus on truth rather than trivialities. So what, what are we talking about when we say focus on truth rather than trivialities? See, we so what we have to do is we have to consider biblical truth rather than focusing on personal preference or the political winds of the day or the current cultural climate. See, political political ideologies change. Cultures around us change, but biblical truth remains the same. And and so we can engage the culture around us, and as long as we're anchored into those biblical truths, I can let you pretty much believe what you want to believe. It's not my job to change your mind. It's not my job to argue and debate you into the in, in into belief. I mean, the truth matters. Scripture is very clear. There are some people who just won't listen to us. Uh, you can look it up for yourself. It's in this, it's in their story about pigs and pearls. You can go look up for yourself. Instead, if we are focusing on biblical truth rather than trivialities, what it lets us do is it lets us find people where they are and love them. That's what Jesus told us to do. Go find people where they're at and love them. The story is that the the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus into um, embarrassing himself or, or saying something wrong in public. And they said, Rabbi, we know that you're sent from God. Uh, tell us, which is the greatest of the commandments? And Jesus responds, all of the law and the prophets, pretty much everything they had at this point in time, hangs on this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He so said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, Jesus calls us sheep in the scriptures. Because sheep are the dumbest animals on the face of the planet. So I don't think he's trying to hide anything from us. I think he wants this stuff to be pretty simple and pretty straightforward. So when he says, do this, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, it's probably a pretty good idea if we do that. So what does he say? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to paraphrase that and say, with every fiber of your being, from, from, from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. Right from the from the morning sun to the evening rain, love God, dedicate yourself to understanding Him and and growing with Him and, and and allowing Him to fill you up from the inside. Love God with every fiber of your being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And He said, the second is like it. Once you've done that, once you've once you've focused on the on the biblical truth rather than trivialities, he said I want you to go out and find other people and love them just like that. So focus on truth rather than trivialities that allows you to meet people where they're at and love them. You don't have to you don't have to change their mind. God says, "I'm going to do that. That's the work of my spirit. Your job is to find people and love them. My job," says God, "is to change their hearts and minds." So we can find people where they're at and love them and trust that God will make it uncomfortable for them to stay there. The second thing is, live out the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that's the fruit of the Spirit. We must not um, engage in the character assassination of those with whom we disagree. We can't use bombastic words or uh, antics um, laced with hateful undertones. It's one of the things that I currently absolutely detest about the modern social media landscape. is is we have people who are anonymous and, and are at their worst because of the anonymity that are being responded to by people who are anonymous and at their worst. And when your worst is anonymous and it gets rewarded and somebody responds with their anonymous worst and that gets rewarded, it gets into this cycle where we're all just being really bad to one another. I'm not saying get off social media, and I'm not saying walk away from it. I'm saying think about how we're presenting ourselves on there. Live out the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I come back consistently to kindness. Because Romans says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. You see, when we, when we meet people who are that and love them, and we demonstrate kindness to them, That's an incredibly powerful form of evangelism. Particularly if it's somebody who disagrees pretty vehemently with us, regardless of what the issue is. Those who see the world through the lens other than Christianity are still precious in the sight of their creator. Those who see the world through a lens that's not like ours, those who see the world through a lens that's antithetical to ours, They're going to fight us, and they're going to be mean to us, and they're going to be ugly with us. Our job is to respond with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in the midst of the storm. We must extend grace and kindness regardless of who the other individual is, regardless of their preferences, regardless of their personal behaviors. Our response is always to be, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And again, I key up on kindness because scripture is very clear. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Okay, so the third thing is engage in areas of agreement first. And I know this is hard, right? But I need you to study issues carefully. The issues of the day, whatever that issue of the day is. Whatever is affecting your world, because I'm going to tell you, the world you're living in, listening to this, is very different than the world I'm living in in rural Texas. My world is consisting of different issues than you are facing. So study the issues of the day carefully where you're at. Contrast your beliefs with the opposing point of view. And once you're so confident in your positions, find a place for your voice to be heard and season your words with compassion and kindness. There's that word again, kindness. Kindness. Simply stated, let's learn to present a compelling argument and practice the art of disagreeing agreeably. I don't care what the situation is, I don't care what, um, what place you find yourself in, there's going to be room for agreement somewhere. Now, I, I admit there are issues that we probably will never find common ground on. Um, and that goes back to the whole focus on biblical truth thing. We're not going to compromise the gospel, we're not going to compromise biblical principles here. So let's begin with the position of saying, what are the areas of agreement? What are the things that are happening in culture today that we can agree on? I think we all want clean water. I think we all want to breathe clean air. Great. We can, we can begin by agreeing on those points. Now, people will go too far one way or the other, and that's fine. But we are going to stand firmly on those areas where we can find areas of agreement first. If I can get you to understand that I'm not your enemy, that I'm not against you, that, that we have things in common, and, and just to give you a personal, uh, I guess a personal experience from this, yeah, I'm a child of, of, of the of, of the Cold War, and I had the opportunity as a young man to go to Russia, and growing up as a child of the Cold War, going to Russia, I was Well, afraid is the only word I can give you. Because I had always heard about who those people were. Those Ruskies, those Commies, those big red dog in the backyard. They were the enemy. All the movies I grew up watching, communists, Russians, they were always the bad guys. We were always the good guys. 1980, The Miracle on Ice. We beat the Russian hockey team. It was a big deal. It was us versus them. So when I arrived, I had these preconceived ideas about what this was going to look like. And what I found were a, a people who were warm and generous and full of hospitality and just simply delightful. We found areas of agreement first. And what I figured out is it, it's very easy to hate them It is very hard to hate you. You, If we find those areas of agreement first, you become a you, not a them. We don't have to run to our corners. We don't have to stay vulcanized as a a nation. We can stand and say, there are areas we agree in. Let's find those. Let's begin there. Let's speak the truth in love, but let's be kind to one another. Because that way we take them from being a, a, a them and turn them into a you. So we we can present a compelling argument and practice the art of disagreeing agreeably at the same time. Okay, last thing, and this is a big one. Pray regularly for all of our elected officials and for all of those who are pursuing office. Charles Spurgeon said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the omnipotent muscle of God the apostle Paul admonishes us, says, I exhort you, therefore, that first of all, prayers and intercessions and givings of thanks be made for all men, kings, and for all of them that are in authority, that may we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in godliness and honesty. So we're not going to say we want to pray for the ruination. We're not going to say, well, they're not my party, so I'm not going to pray for them, or they are my party, so you have to pray for them. We're going to say about our political leaders at all levels, from your your local dog catcher to the president of the United States, we're going to pray for God to manifest himself in their lives, for God's spirit to reign in their decisions, so that we might lead lives that are quiet and peaceable and full of godliness and honesty that's the goal hey thanks for listening everybody we appreciate your time uh understand that you could do anything with this time that you choose and you chose to spend it with us so we want to thank you if you like this kind of content if you find this useful and helpful well, we need you to head on over to christiangrads.org And when you get there, you're going to hit that donate button because it's only because we have partners like you that we can make this kind of content happen. We want to thank you and we want to encourage you to uh, continue to walk in that kindness of God. And we'll talk to you next week.